0: We've made it this far into the week. It is Friday. I want to say Friday, but if you're in Indy or Cincinnati, it's pretty rainy, pretty windy. At least where I'm at in Cincy, it's rainy. For Andrew in Indy, it's rainy, although not as rainy, I think, if you look at the forecast. But Andrew's the cool kid because he's still in Indy. He's still at the Combine, and he's got some great stuff to talk about. And I'm not as cool, so I'm just back in Cincinnati putting this thing together. But we're going to have some fun. Welcome to another NFL Combine offseason edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Muhammad Ahmad and Andrew Gillis here with you. Mike Nislich has a day off going into the weekend. As him and I talked about a lot of stuff on Thursday that I want to get you involved into, Andrew. But of course, uh, the big talk today um, amongst the position groups came from the tight ends. Uh, the tight ends spoke today. Uh, I also believe quarterbacks and wide receivers spoke Uh, the quarterbacks and wide receivers. I don't think are much of an area to talk about because that doesn't concern the Bengals, but tight end. I want to absolutely start there. And we'll get to some of the other position groups as well that performed yesterday uh, in the actual workouts. And will perform later uh, Friday and Saturday, but You know, looking at the list, Andrew, it seems like Dalton Kincaid from Utah, Michael Mayer, of course, we've mentioned over and over again, the Kentucky kid, Cincinnati kid, if you want to say that, you know, NKY, whatever. Uh, Sam Laporta from Iowa. uh, Those guys have all talked to – and Darnell Washington from Georgia. I don't want to leave him out. All four of those guys have talked to the Bengals. They talked about it at the podium today. You know, one thing that stood out to me, Andrew, that I want to talk to you about is, you know, Michael Mayer, of course, was asked about – what would it be like to be a Bengal? What would it be like to be in Cincinnati? And he was like, "I grew up 15 minutes from Hudey Stadium." He said Hudey Stadium, which I thought was great because he obviously grew up a Bengals fan. He talked about wanting to have Joe Burrow throw him the ball, just starting there with the tight ends. Andrew, when you look at someone like Michael Mayer, what what impressed you about him today? And you know, what did you kind of take away from what he talked about? And where where do you think this could go for the Bengals? Like, does this actually make the Michael Mayer hype even more realistic?
1: Yeah, I mean, well. It's pretty clear uh, that it, the Bengals aspect of this really, really mattered to him. Um, you know, the way that these interviews work for for the uninitiated is, you know, you have a lot of people there. Uh, have you met with the Packers? Have you met with the Steelers? Have you and no prospect is ever going to say, "Ah, oh, yeah, that meeting sucked. You know, everybody's respectful. Everybody's talking about their versatility. Everybody's, you know, it, it's pretty cookie cutter. And then Michael got asked about potentially playing with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, and you could sense a shift uh, he his face lit up he got very very excited to talk about the Bengals and kind of talk about what it would mean for him so I mean it was pretty clear that it matters um, you know that you know he was he was very very excited to talk about you know the, the history of, of the Bengals you know he mentioned um, you know he got asked about you know, some of his earliest, his earliest football memories. And he was like, man, you know, when I was growing up and I just got to see uh, Chad Johnson and Ocho Cinco and TJ Hushmanzada. And like, he he got to see all of those guys just having fun. That was kind of what stuck out to him. So, you know, he's got a Bengals background. um, So that's obviously, you know, the tie in for the Bengals right there. But from an on-field perspective and kind of what he thinks he can bring on the field, um, he was extremely confident today. Uh, he, he got asked to compare himself to somebody. He said, Travis Kelsey, he's, you know, somebody asked him what the most underrated part of his game is. And he said, uh, nothing's underrated about my game. Uh, they asked him, you know, somebody asked him about, you know, kind of what happened uh, from Notre Dame and, you know, what he can take away from that school. And he said, look, my, my greatest takeaway is my leadership. We started zero and two this year with a loss to Ohio state and Marshall. And we were like, all right, what do we need to change? And we turned things around. So he is an extremely confident dude. Uh, it's hard not to be impressed by Mayer, both, I mean, as a player and as a, uh, I mean, just as a person. So uh, y- y- you have to feel good about kind of where you're at with him. Uh, he said he had met with the Bengals. So it's, uh, I-, I think, uh, obviously, we, we kind of knew that, you know, Mayer was, was on the radar. And um, today today kind of confirmed that, I think.
0: So, Andrew, you you said a lot of interesting stuff. And, you know, you kind of talk about how just impressed you were. I'm very impressed with Michael Mayer just from hearing what he said and kind of hearing the impressions you talked about. Let's just do my hypothetical because, of course, we only assume this, assuming things go a certain way in free agency, right? Because if they're going to get a tight end in the first round, this has to happen, which is that, you know, you don't keep – well, let me put it like this. Maybe you do keep Hayden Hurst. And you do keep Mitchell Wilcox, but Drew Sample walks. And maybe, you know, although you're going to have Hayden Hurst, you don't know how long he's going to be there. Maybe it's another short-term deal. So Hayden Hurst, in this hypothetical I'm laying out, is either not back in Cincinnati or he's back, but it's another short-term deal even if you have Mitchell Wilcox back, where in this case I don't think you have a Drew Sample, and I think he walks regardless of what happens. But if all that happens um, and the Bengals – You know, again, offensive line is a concern. We're going to get to that later in the show. But if Michael Mayer's on that board at 28, you have Hayden Hurst, but you don't have Drew Sample. So, you know, you need a tight end for depth. Would you feel comfortable going for Michael Mayer at that point?
1: You know, I I would, um, you know, I've made this kind of case before, uh, both on the podcast and both just, you know, in talking to you guys and talking to other people, I think when you, when you look at Michael Mayer, I don't think you really have to worry about the kind of production that you're going to get. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, he's going to be at least a solid NFL player. Uh, You know, the reason, you know, a lot of people might like a Darnell Washington or a Dalton Kincaid or somebody like that is, you know, you might find more value in the receiving aspect. But, you know, with Mayer, I think you have to feel confident that what you're going to get is, is a multi-year pro, somebody who's going to come in and, and do a bang up job for you. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, maybe one of the league's elite tight ends. I don't know if he's going to jump into that Mark Andrews, uh, Travis Kelsey kind of mold. I, I just think that that's so hard to jump into, but uh, I think he's going to be a really solid player. The, the only thing to me would be who else is there. Um, you know, is mayor is like, how do you compare mayor to an offensive lineman? You know, how do you compare him to like an Anton Harrison or, you know, does, a, does insert, defensive back here fall, you know, th- there's a couple different guys that you can, you can kind of make cases for at 28. But, you know, I think if Mayer's there at 28 and the Bengals pick him, I, I don't know, you know, really how, how you could be terribly upset with that pick.
0: And the beautiful thing, like I talked about earlier in podcasts, is you know Duke Tobin, Bengals director of player personnel said that that number twenty eight pick is so flexible, whether it's a Michael Mayer or uh, an offensive tackle, or maybe. And I want to pivot to this in a little bit, but just to kind of give you an idea of where I am going with this, you could maybe go for corner. But before I even talk about that position, before I jump the gun, you know, you mentioned Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid. I mean, you also have Josh Wild, the UC kid. We talked about him when. We were doing our tight end reviews and mentioning possible fits. If the Bengals don't get like a Michael Mayer or Dalton Kincaid, you know, or any of those top tier tight ends, that that's a name. that's very interesting, you know, kind of talk to me, Andrew, like when you look at Darnell Washington, Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta, those three, I want to kind of zoom in on those three specifically, you know, what do you like about them? Obviously they met with the Bengals. And so I'd imagine the Bengals are very impressed and or interested in them. You know, what did you like about those guys from talking to them today? And, you know, Where do you think they could fit in the grand scheme of things, even if maybe the Bengals don't go for that in the first round? Like maybe, you know, they go for that in the second or third round. What do you make of what those three guys could bring?
1: Uh, And it was Kincaid. Uh, And who were the other two?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. My mic cut out for a second there, Andrew. I was saying uh, Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta and Darnell Washington. You know, I like to call those guys yeah. the big three outside of Mayor. If that makes sense. Oh, no, I,
1: I, I, I mean, I think that's doing a little bit of a disservice to Luke Musgrave too, the tight end out of Oregon State. Um, you know, I think the thing with with Dalton Kincaid and with with Darnell Washington, you know, specifically with Washington, uh, you get you're drafting a guy who you know six foot seven, two hundred seventy pounds, and can move. So you know, if you draft a Darnell Washington, you're doing that in order to get a guy who, you know, okay, we think this guy can be an athletic monster for us here over the next handful of years. You're kind of shooting for upside there. Uh, obviously, he was not a starter at Georgia because uh, you have, you know, one of the best tight ends in college football, maybe the best tight end in college football in Brock Bowers. So you, you've got, uh, you, you're kind of betting on athleticism there with, with Washington, although what he showed you uh, was, was pretty impressive. Um, Dalton Kincaid was the only other tight end group I was in, uh, in terms of a media scrum. Um, you know, you got kind of the same vibe from him. He was, uh, he was a pretty confident guy. You know, I think, you know, the the word of the week is, uh, is versatility from people. You know, everybody likes to talk about how they're versatile. They can play inline tight end. They can play in the slot. They can play They can do a lot of different stuff. And, you know, he kind of honed in on that. Um, you know, Dalton Kincaid, he's six four two forty. Uh, so you're, you're getting a little bit of a smaller player than Mayer. Mayor's 25 pounds heavier, so, you know, Kincaid is more of a receiving threat, um, which I'm, I'm curious to see how the Bengals look at these tight ends, considering you might need somebody who's, you know, maybe a little bit better of a blocker, especially if you're going to have some problems at tackle. Um, and then Sam Laporta, you know, I think that's, uh, I mean, I think you're going to get a typical Iowa tight end out of him. Um, you know, he's he's a solid player. You're not really going to get a ton of, uh how do I put that? I, I, I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't think his receiving upside is is as high as like a mayor or a Washington or a Kincaid. Uh, you know, he had two pretty good years at Iowa. Um, but I, I just think that you're kind of getting, you know, he's going to be the guy if the Bengals don't draft a guy in the first round, second round at tight end. He's the guy you're looking at in those middle rounds to uh, to come in and, and kind of fill a role for you.
0: And you're saying that would be Kincaid?
1: Is, is that who K- we're talking no, about? No, that would be um, that would be Laporta. Sorry. So if you're going okay. to pick or you're probably going to have to Kincaid or Washington. You probably Kincaid, Washington, Mayor, or you know probably even Musgrave, You're probably going to have to pick them in rounds one or two. And uh, but with Laporta, I think you can wait a little bit.
0: I like I like how you kind of ranked that order there, and I'm so glad you laid that out because I think it gives you know people listening and honestly even me kind of some clarity of like okay. Where do the Bengals pursue a tight end and in what order do you pursue those tight ends from, you know, Michael Mayer to Laporta or whatever order you want to make? I don't know that I really disagree with any of that. I think you're really spot on there, Andrew. But there is one thing I think that's an interesting debate because I've seen this kind of on Twitter. I thought about this a lot. And Mike and I talked about this on Thursday and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this which is that I talked to a lot of the cornerbacks yesterday. You know, I talked to a Clark Phillips from Utah, you know, Emmanuel Forbes uh, from Mississippi State. I mean, both of those guys were just filthy. I mean, like the way they played last year, you know, as much as they're both different guys, one is taller than the other, and, you know, the taller one would be Forbes. You know, they're both really nasty ball defenders. And I'm not saying that to be cliche. Like, that's really what they are is just, They're really good in coverage. Now, as far as like run defense and versatility, I don't know if that's their strongest suits, which is maybe why they're those middle tier, you know, cornerbacks. I think, you know, PFF and most boards have them second, third round. But you're so deep there because before that, you have Joey Porter uh, Jr., I should say, because that's Joey Porter's son, Joey Porter Jr., Devin Witherspoon. I know you had your interesting take on what to do if Devin Witherspoon is available at some point in the first round. But, Andrew, I mean, as deep as tight end is, and we're not saying it's not, and as deep as cornerback is, if you're at 28, and, you know, like I said, you do have a Hayden Hurst, you do have uh, Mitchell Wilcox, Wilcox, and Michael Mayer's not on the board. Like, maybe he goes to Jacksonville, whether or not they bring back Evan Ingram. You know, he's off the board. But you can still get to Washington, Kincaid, Laporta later. Do you go for a cornerback? In that first round, and of course, I want to add to the hypothetical: Eli Apple and Trey Flowers don't come back to Cincinnati in free agency. With that hypothetical in mind, is it unrealistic or realistic to consider, you know, a cornerback at twenty-eight?
1: No, I don't think. You know, I think the craziest thing is, you know, I, I mentioned this. Um, I, I don't even know what day it was. The first day we did our podcast this week is this week is a very long week, but it was whatever day we were talking about. Kind of, the uh, I think it was Tuesday. Uh, we were kind of going through options here. And I think the Bengals have kind of positioned themselves nicely. And you really do see the benefits because there are a lot of drawbacks. And I wrote about this earlier in the week. There are a lot of drawbacks to having a quarterback that are, that is going to make a, a lot of money here very, very soon. But, you know, with that in mind, you know where you stand you you have the quarterbacks you have the quarterback solved you don't have to worry about you know moving mountains to try and move up and get one and with the Bengals as a roster right now I mean how many picks could they make that you look at and go man that's a really bad pick like if Von, like if what if Von Bell leaves in free agency I could absolutely see them you know looking at the safety market if uh you know, if you, if you draft a linebacker, I don't know if that would be the best, the best pick in the world, um, just kind of knowing the guys in this class at 28 and, you know, also kind of looking at, you know, positional value. But, I mean, you could see that. You could see really anything along the board. So, you know, I've said this before. You need as many defensive backs as possible. Um, you know, you could look at a guy like Akili Ringo, um, you know, Clark Phillips from, uh, from Utah you you know you can you can start to kind of convince yourself of, of a lot of different things um, you know you could wait i mentioned on our podcast before Julius Brents that kid out of Kansas state 6 foot 4 really long and can fly so there's there's options i think in the first two rounds for you a cornerback that you know I, again you're talking about a team that you have Chidobe Uzike coming up in ACL uh, Mike Hilton's nearing 30 Again, I, I think you need some some youth at that position. Typically, you would think that that would be depth, but if if you're gonna if you're gonna draft a starter, I mean, I don't know how you could complain about that.
0: Yeah, I mean that's and again, it all goes back to that word flexibility. As cliche and overused, it might as it might be. I mean, they aren't such an interesting position. I mean, this is why. This is why I think. Not just in the last decade, but like in the turn of the since the turn of the century. So basically, since what the Paul Brown Stadium year, if you want to call it that, this is going to be the most uniquely challenging draft that the Bengals have had since the turn of the century. Because, like I said, like you said, uh, Andrew, it's different when you've got Joe Burrow in his situation, and it's different when you've got. You know, guys like, you know, T. Higgins and Logan Wilson who can get paid. Like, the Bengals are in just such a unique position that they've never really been in just because they've never been this kind of a championship contending team. Like, because they're such a contending team, and this is a point that Mike made yesterday, which is that you're trying to win the Super Bowl. You know, you don't want to draft certain projects. You don't want to draft certain guys that you hope will be good. Um, I know you mentioned depth, but for the most part, you want to get guys who can go and win now. Um, and that's why I think it's so interesting when we talk about that 28th overall pick because it's like, oh, you need an offensive tackle, you got to protect Joe Burrow. But it's like, well, you know, what if you don't have Eli Apple and you don't have Trey Flowers, but you have Hayden Hurst? Like, maybe you don't need a tight end or a tackle at that point because you've got cornerbacks who could do better than what Eli Apple did, better than what you know Trey Flowers did in the slot. You know, for, as much as I've kind of been critical of him. There's so much you can take out of that, but when we come back, I want to talk about some players that I mentioned yesterday who could and maybe should be restructured, not named Joe Mixon, and we revisit the frustrations with the offensive line, which is nothing new in Cincinnati. I'll tell you why it's not anything new when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So for our listeners who tuned in Thursday, this might be repetitive, but Andrew, I want to get your thoughts on this because I talked to Mike about this. But when you hear the word restructure and, you know, cap casualty, the name that keeps coming to mind for the Bengals, of course, unsurprisingly, is Joe Mixon. You could say Lyle Collins too, but like that's not a guy you restructure. If you cut him, you cut him. With Mixon, there's a possibility of restructuring his deal because he's got two years left on Uh, his current $48 million extension. So if you are in a situation where, again, you're paying Joe Burrow, you need to make some cap space. This is also hypothetical because we don't know what Duke Tobin and Mike Brown and, you know, Katie Blackburn, you know, we don't know what they're going to pay Joe Burrow, what that deal is going to look like. But let's say you're in a situation where you need some space, you need some room, you need some money, you need some dough. You know what I'm saying? We can call whatever we want. At that point, you know, yeah, I think the mix and talk is still real. But tell me if I'm crazy for thinking this, Andrew. Is it unrealistic to assume the possibility of restructuring Tyler Boyd's deal, restructuring Trey Hendrickson, like those other big cap casualties that maybe you can work around? Are those guys that you could restructure, like if you needed to? Or is that maybe asking for too much if you're the Bengals front office?
1: Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's an interesting question. Um, I, I think Mixon would be the guy that, you know, you you try to restructure. Um, you know, if you cut him going into 2023, uh, pre June 1st, it's going to cost you five and a half million dollars in dead money. Uh, you're going to save seven point two against the cap. Uh, but I, I think if you know you're talking about a guy whose cap number is 12.7 million dollars, that that's not insignificant. Um, I. I, I don't know. The I, I don't think you can really restructure Tyler Boyd unless it comes with a contract extension. Um, I'm not really sure what you would do in that regard. It'd be a lot easier to do a, uh, a contract restructuring with Joe Mixon because he's got two years left on his deal. And Trey Hendrickson, who also has two years left on his deal. Uh, and, you know, if you kind of look at the uh, the dead money with Trey Hendrickson going into 2024, two and a half million dollars in dead money and a 15 million dollar cap savings if he's a pre-June first cut so if the Bengals really thought that they needed an upgraded pass rusher and needed to save some money that'd be the place to do it but I'm not sure you just want to let go of a guy like like Trey Hendrickson so to me um, you know if you're going to do anything with a restructuring it's got to be with Joe Mixon uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you extend Tyler Boyd because uh, you you kind of looked at where this offense is headed you got Jamar Chase that's going to make a big contract and even if you do get rid of T Higgins i mean you can absolutely do a, you know a nice deal for, for Jamar Chase and then a a contract for Tyler Boyd and that, and that's not really going to kill you so uh, i think you can you can find another number 2 in the draft and kind of pair him with Jamar Chase so uh you know to me i think that you know i wouldn't be surprised if they extend Tyler Boyd uh this offseason but again you got to win the super bowl now so whatever whatever moves you have to make to do that, I think that's what they're gonna do.
0: You know, I like how you how you phrase that. Like I think yeah, if you're gonna keep Tyler Boyd, maybe you extend him, but you spread that cash out where the cap space is a little more breathable in a situation like that. Hendrickson is just tough because he's making so much money and he's got two years left. I think after next year, you can like, let's say next year he literally does worse than he did this year or last year. Like, I'm just assuming this. If that's the case and you're going into an off season next year, yeah, you can actually talk about him the way we're talking about Joe Mixon or the way we're talking about Lyle Collins because it's just cutthroat. Like, the NFL is just really cutthroat. You know, like, you could have a guy who was a pro bowler who broke records like he did in 2021 when, you know, it was his first year there and they went to the Super Bowl. But, And I mentioned this to Mike, and I want to reiterate this, like, It's nice to have that. It's nice to have someone like Joe Mixon, who's one of the few guys who's been around since the Marvin Lewis era, who's a seven-year vet. But you cannot let feelings come into this. Like, it's a matter of, okay, this is a business. We want to win the Super Bowl now. We want to revolve around Joe Burrow. Like, if it means cutting a guy loose that we really like – That's the NFL. Like it's one of the most cutthroat, I think, businesses in professional sports. But I just mentioned that because like, you know, whether or not you restructure guys like that, whether or not you keep guys like that, it doesn't just affect the Joe Burrow situation. It affects, okay, what can you spend in free agency on some positions? Where can you allocate resources in the draft and where in the draft you allocate them? Which leads to my next point about the offensive line. Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but if you look historically, at least in the last decade, not only has the Bengals offensive line struggled to find the continuity that it's dreaming of having, like other championship teams, but if you zoom in a little further, right tackle has been miserable. I'm just going to give you some PFF numbers of the Bengals' right tackles in the last 10 years. Lyle Collins, barely about a 58. Last year, Riley Reef, before he had a season-ending injury, 67. Bobby Hart, for the last three years before that, was pretty much averaging a 57 to 65. Andre Smith, who I don't want to say was a bust, but wasn't what they wanted him to be, 55, 58, 60. Cedric Obegi, who I think was a bust, the Texas uh, A&M first-round pick at right tackle, barely a 60. Like, neither of those guys have panned out. Some of those were draft picks, like Smith and Obegi. A lot of those were free agents, like... Lyle Collins and Riley Reef, I know we've talked a ton about Lyle Collins and I don't want to zoom in on him but just in general you look at it like this the Bengals have just not been good at right tackle in the last decade just the numbers speak for it we debated Collins's numbers on the podcast and I think if you talk to any of the other guys who've covered this team long enough like Paul Dana or Jay Morrison they'd probably agree with me at least from a right tackle perspective I think with the offensive line it's more nuanced but at right tackle they've struggled a lot so zoom into the first round, 28th pick. I mean, if Peter Skaronsky has gone, like if those big name tackles are gone at that point, which I mean, they're going to be, I mean, Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones. If you only have like a, you know, Darnell Wright or, you know, Anton Harrison left at that point. I mean, do you even entertain that? Like, do you risk picking someone like that and repeating history with Andre Smith and Cedric Obegi? Or do you maybe go the free agent route and I'll kind of list out some names here. Like, do you go the free agent route and get guys like Jermaine Elamun or Mike McGlinchey, you know, Caleb McGarry, Kelvin Beecham? When you look at the history and where things stand now, what do you kind of make of all that, Andrew? What do you do?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you can really look at the, the past, um, you know, the past kind of success that they've had or lack of success that they've had drafting tackles. I, I'm not really sure that that, that, that should matter. Um, you know, I, I do think that you kind of look at, you know, some of the guys in, in free agency and, and obviously McGlinchy kind of stands out like, you know, if you can add a McGlinchey, I think that that would be, I mean, that's a different conversation. Uh, you know, I really wouldn't be very interested in Illuminor. Um, you know, or McGarry, you know, those those guys you just kind of mentioned. Uh, yeah. To me, this is a if you're going to sign somebody in free agency, this is a you're going to cut Lael Collins and you're going to replace him with another starter. Just, and again, it's health. You don't know what he's going to be like. I still think you need to draft an offensive tackle uh, in the draft, whether or not you sign McGlinchey or whatever you do at tackle, but uh, you, you obviously your needs change a little bit and maybe you're not drafting one in round one. Uh, But I do believe that uh, you can't really look at the past and say, we really haven't been good at this. So to me, if, if you like the guy that's there, um, if you like a, a player that you know you think can be an impact starter for you right from the get go, I, I don't know how you how you look past that. So uh it it's an interesting position for sure, and I am very curious how they do it because again, you you could very well have you know a nice a nice situation build at twenty eight where you're sitting there and all of a sudden it's Anton Harrison and one of the tight ends, Washington Kincaid or Mayor's on the board and you know, you've got a really difficult decision to make.
0: You know, I think, and I, I love saying this, and I'm going to keep saying this until draft day. The beauty and the struggle of the offseason is, and Mike will laugh when I say this, you don't know until you know. We don't know a lot right now because we're still not in free agency. That's a good, you know, week and a half away, you mean know, a little under two weeks, basically. And then I think once we get through that, it's going to make some clarity as to, okay, which position seems more important at the 28th overall pick? Why does that seem more important? And who are some names that come out of that? But I think if we're just talking right now, based on how the combine is going and just, you know, where the Bengals are at from what Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor said, it's, it's still really hard. I I think we know more clarity on the Joe Burrow situation and, you know, where guys like T Higgins are a priority and, you know, maybe the Joe Mixons and, The Hayden Hurst and the Logan Wilsons are kind of a, not an afterthought, but they're more secondary to those guys. But I just think, you know, when you think about, you know, like Jonah Williams is going to be a free agent uh, after next year. Hakeem Adenig is going to be a free agent. You don't really know what the future is for Jackson Carmen. I mean, I think he proved himself a little bit at tackle. I think he needs uh, an offseason and a training camp to make more of a case for maybe starting for Lyle Collins if he's not ready, you know, at the beginning of the year. And that's something that Frank Pollock said he'd kind of have to see, you know, he didn't want to jump to any conclusions because, you know, he hasn't really seen Carmen in training camp yet because that's still, you know, months away, but uh, it's tough. And I think with the Bengals, you know, you got to feel frustrated like because you haven't had success at right tackle. You've had failure after failure after failure in the draft and free agency. And I think, I mean, if you really think about it, Andrew, we, we've said it a, over and over again, but I'm going to say it to echo the frustration. Like Your offensive line is what kept you from possibly winning back-to-back Super Bowls. It's what kept them from winning it in 2021 when they were in the big game. It's what kept them from getting back and maybe, maybe having a shot at the Eagles. And I want to open that can of worms up. But the point is, that's how close they were. Um, and so that's where the offensive line talk's not going anywhere, but you think about it in respect to the other positions and the 28th overall pick. And it's a position that I think to kind of put a bow on that, this is something you don't want to screw up. Like the Bengals know they are not winning a championship without an offensive line. I understand you're going to have some drop-off in other areas like linebacker, you know, safety without Pratt and Bates, but you need that offensive line. If you don't have that, I don't care if Joe Burrow is going to be the preseason favorite MVP. They don't care about Burrow winning MVP. They care about Burrow winning Super Bowl MVP. And so that's where I think the offensive line becomes so important. I want to kind of switch it to your side a little bit because I want to have some fun with this. You know, Mike wasn't so big on this because, you know, he's not as into, you know, the AFC North and the Ravens like you, for example. But fittingly, I want to ask you this. We saw the Rashad Bateman tweet, which he since deleted, where he called out Eric DaCosta, the Ravens general manager, when, you know, DaCosta said, oh, if we couldn't find better receivers, I couldn't tell you why. And Bateman, Bateman, just to paraphrase his words, said, oh, well, why do you point the finger at us in number eight? AKA Lamar Jackson. And then you look the fact that Lamar Jackson's not on a contract. He may not be a Raven next year, among other things. I mean, like what is going on in Baltimore, Andrew? Like, are we overreacting or is crap hitting the fan in B more right now?
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, there, um, so, so it was interesting. So, uh, you know, I thought I, I still haven't read it. Uh, so sorry, Jimmy. But, uh, you know Jimmy Watkins for us he 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 was there he was at that press conference and you know he wrote a he wrote a good story about it uh, or at least so I'm told at least that Jimmy told me <laughs> um, but uh, you know he, he I asked him about it you know when we were at dinner yesterday and, and he kind of told me that you know this was a this was very clearly a situation where the whole context was not out there that was one of the reasons why um, you know that was one of the reasons why that people kind of you know, people kind of blew up about it and specifically Rashad Bateman. And, you know, you saw Hollywood Brown chime in too, uh, you know, he's like, but John Harbaugh said, you know, people forget about how good Rashad Bateman is. So um, I, th- I think that, uh, you know, that was one of those situations where it was kind of a bit of a, a lost in translation. But again, like the, we've said this for a while, the Ravens need receiver talent and you, you think back to like some of the best receivers, that they've had over the years like how many how many times have the Bengals been scared of what the ravens have thrown out in the, in the passing game from a receiver i mean you got mark andrews yeah but tory smith they drafted okay tory smith is probably the best receiver they've drafted in the last handful of years because i mean anquan Bolton, they acquired in trade steve smith they acquired in a trade you know they've uh they, they've gone after guys to the free agency or the trade market to try and um, to try and get them. So, you know, to me, um, I, I don't think Costa is wrong. I would have phrased it a little more carefully if I was him. Uh, but again, I, I think it was just one of those things where Bateman kind of took offense to it, not really seeing the whole context of everything.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the world we live in with social media, right? Is you, you see one thing and you hear another and we, you know, people like to overblow and overreact. So I think uh, that's a perfect case example of that, but to kind of tie back to Cincinnati, I mean, if you're in a situation where you don't have Lamar Jackson or you do have him, but he just doesn't have good wide receivers for whatever reason, like to go back to what you talked about, I mean, with respect to Pittsburgh and Cleveland, I mean, like, does that mean that the Ravens aren't going to be heavy hitting, you know, in the AFC North next year, or does this really not mean much uh, as far as like what John Harbaugh is capable of putting together of maybe getting a division win or, you know, taking the Ravens back to the playoffs?
1: Yeah. uh, You know, I I think the Ravens are going to be really good next year again. Um, You know, I think they were, they were kind of on path to win uh, and on track to win the AFC North uh, before uh, the Bengals took off and, you know, Frankly, the Ravens all got hurt again. So, you know, to me, I think that you look at the AFC North; it's certainly the deepest division in the sport. Um, yeah, I mean, the Browns, Deshaun Watson, the Steelers, Kenny Pickett. And I'm not a Pickett guy, but when he's, I think, the worst quarterback in the division, that's that's saying something. So, it's going to be a really, really tough division. And uh, you know, I think it was very clear in kind of watching that playoff game with with the Bengals and the Ravens. You know, I remember we were saying this in the press box, like, man their number one receiver right now is like Demarcus Robinson. Like if you can add a number one, Ravens might be cooking with gas. So I think if Bateman gets healthy and you can add a guy or two in the draft or free agency or whatever that can come in and kind of make some plays for you, it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a really, really interesting season next year in the AFC North.
0: Yeah, I mean, the AFC North never has a drop-off. It's not had a drop-off in the last 10 years. I mean – if you, if you disagree with me to those listening, I mean, how does a team like the Bengals go from 4-11-1 the same year that the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens all made the playoffs to going to the Super Bowl the next year? I mean, that's just how crazy this division is. One team drops, the other one rises, and vice versa. I think if the Browns were bad one year, they would have been bad, better the next. I mean, who knows Cleveland with Deshaun Watson? I mean, I don't know, man. Like, They still got some weapons. They got Deshaun Watson. They got Nick Chubb. Like, I like to see what they do in their secondary because they're getting rid of John Johnson. And who knows if Jesse Bates goes there. Uh, I want to talk to Dan Lobby about that later when we get closer to free agency, which kind of reminds me. So, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I didn't mean to get off topic there. But, like, you know, this kind of uh, time of the year with the offseason shows you, like, just how loaded, you know, these teams are in the AFC North and how it's just a rat race and, so exciting but crazy to see. But to kind of wrap up, um, I didn't really talk about these numbers. But, you know, we saw Nolan Smith yesterday. I kind of went through his numbers. I think that kid is a freak. And I will shoot myself in the foot, not literally. But I might shoot myself in the foot if he's not a first-round pick because he was ridiculously filthy yesterday. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about it. But, you know, there there are some sleeper guys, I think, who are on the defensive line, tackle and edge rusher, who showed out one name that sticks out to me is Yaya Diaby defensive end from Louisville. Most boards had him projected as like a backup slash special teamer to get, you know, picked, you know, in the fourth or fifth round, kind of like a Khalid Kareem, you know, that's an example that ties with the Bengals. He's not there anymore, but Khalid Kareem was a fifth round pick out of Notre Dame. When I see Yaya Diaby kind of reminds me of him, 37 inch vertical, fourth best among defensive ends. And then you look at his 40 time, he ran a four or five, the fastest 40 time of any active Bengal uh, on the defensive line is Joseph Osai, 4.63, which is why I still can't understand why he fell to the third round, but good for the Bengals, I guess. But yeah, this kid ran a 4.5. His verticals one of the best amongst his position group. I don't know that he's going to be much higher than a third-round pick, but I mean, you look at Yaya Diaby. You look at Isaiah McGuire from Missouri, you know, guys like that who put up similar numbers. Will McDonald from Iowa State. To kind of just put a bow on this, Andrew, before we kind of pick up the combine talk next week once the weekend is wrapped up, you know, what do you think of some of the edge rushers? You watched them yesterday, so you know about Diaby and McDonald and these guys. What impressed you from watching the prospects yesterday, and what does that mean for some guys that could fit with the Bengals?
1: Well, I mean, if you mean watching them on the on-field stuff, the on-field stuff is kind of hard to... To kind of get a grip for, I think well, you know one of the guys that stood out to me yesterday was Andre Carter, just because I, I'm fascinated by him and, and his story, but also kind of what uh, you know what his what his potential is. You're talking about a guy who's 6'7", 260. Uh, he's coming out of Army. Uh, he's you know set to be the highest draft pick there for I think since like 1947. Um, you know he's a, he's a really solid football player. You know, teams have, you know, teams have really kind of had to, to, to mark him and, and you saw his numbers go down this year, but that's kind of why he was getting double and triple teamed. So I think if you can kind of tap into that, that's a guy who I'd be looking at, you know, maybe not at 28, maybe towards, you know, maybe you move back a little bit and you, you take that guy, but you know, that's somebody who I think is really interesting.
0: Yeah. Rightfully so. And I, I knew you were in Indy yesterday. Cause like I said, earlier in the podcast, you're the cool kid. I'm not as cool as you. That's why they hired you first before me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, uh, I know you had some interesting observations there. So I'm glad you shared that. And I think we'll talk more about that next week when Mike joins us. Because, you know, you've got the tight ends, the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, you know, working out later this weekend, running backs as well. Um, And I know we didn't talk about that as much, but I want to kind of talk more about that later because we still don't know – what running back is going to mean with respect to the Bengals, just based on what happens to Joe Mixon. But we'll talk about those results next week. If maybe the Bengals should start entertaining those options, regardless of what happens to Joe Mixon. Um, And we'll also look at some other performers from today. Um, As we're talking right now, the cornerbacks and special teamers, a.k.a. kickers and punters are working out. Uh, So we don't really have any lifetime stats for you. So we'll talk about those on Monday when we get back at it. But we hope you enjoy your weekend. We hope you enjoyed an exciting week of Combine football It's far from over. Join us Monday as we bring a bow to everything and look ahead to free agency. Once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Amar. We'll see you Monday. Enjoy your weekend. And if you're in the Midwest, stay dry and stay safe.